Uh, we take a brief hiatus from a ongoing sermon series which Jeff has been leading us through. If you've been with us, you're familiar with it. It's entitled The Gospel of Mark, uh, Three and a Half Years in the Life. And while we're pausing, I want to remind you that you can listen to that entire uh, sermon series on our website, citychurchevv.com, uh, or download our app or subscribe to our podcast um, if you want to catch up on those series or any of our uh, other sermons that we've had. Uh, for those of you joining by app or podcast, uh, or for those of y'all who are here for the first time, uh, I want to thank you for, for rocking with us. My name is Sean Little, uh, and I'm the community and teaching pastor here at City Church. Now, the past two sermons in the series that we've been in uh, have been focused on individual identity, uh, which is a timeless and at the same time a timely consideration in the day and age that we live. Last week, Jeff made the claim that you will never discover your true identity outside of a relationship with the person, Jesus Christ. He continued saying that individuals discover their new identity slowly through the process of sending and grouping and withing. Now, Jeff has hopped up here a couple times and he'll he'll say, well, Sean taught me a new word. He taught me fresh or dope or word. And that the word mean, the word, word doesn't mean what the word, word means. You know what I'm saying? And last week, Jeff taught me a new word, uh, with-ing. So this morning, I want to tap into that idea of togetherness uh, represented by sending, grouping, and with-ing. Because uh, a reality of Scripture is that human beings were made for deep, significant, intimate love relationships. And while this may be the reality... Uh, we are plagued by another reality. How? Can we make that happen? Because even if we do buy into the idea that we were made for deep, significant, intimate love relationships, often our relationships fall apart because of the how. I am and I I have been, and if you know me personally, you might have heard me talk about this. Um, Just, I've been deeply, deeply disturbed uh, by the immense social turmoil uh, that's so evident in our culture today. Racial beef and equality beef, religious beef and socioeconomic beef. And y'all know what the word beef means, right? Okay, drama, disagreement, beef. Uh, And more specifically, what this turmoil tells us about our inability to exist in the love relationships that we were made for. So, the question that we're considering this morning is, what are characteristics of love relationships? What is the how of existing in the love relationships that we were created for? As we proceed, I want you to make sure, I want you to see that I'm making two connections here. Um... The first connection uh, I just made to the, to the last two sermons uh, that Jeff has been leading us in in that series. We're considering his idea of identity uh, within the togetherness, again, represented by sending, grouping, and withing. That's the first connection. Second, uh, the connection that I'm making in today's sermon is back to my mini-series, which I preached in May, uh, which is called Sex, or Silence, sorry, that's not what it's called at all. It's called Seduction, Sex, 
and silence. So if you didn't hear that sermon, again, I would encourage you to hop online and listen to those because the second connection I'm making is back to that. And we're doing that uh, through considering our boy David one more time. We really considered David in that series, and we're coming back to him this morning. So uh, you can open up your Bibles or pull up your Bible app and go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. In my mini-series, we considered one relationship that David was in, uh, which was the relationship between David and Bathsheba. And today we're going to consider another relationship that David was in uh, between David and Jonathan. As you find uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18, I'll give you a little bit of context. At this point in history, at the, at the point in history that we're going to be looking at this morning in 1 Samuel 18, uh, there's a, a king over the nation of Israel, and his name is Saul. Saul was more fearful than he was faithful, kind of always looking over his shoulder, wondering who was coming after his power, if someone was going to take his power. And Saul had a son. Saul's son's name was Jonathan. And he must have been a mama's boy, because uh, he was unlike his daddy. He was courageous. And Jonathan was the rightful heir to Saul's throne. Next in line, a powerful prince in and of himself. But God had already chosen another man. God had chosen someone, a young man with no social significance. And with no political power. By the name of David. Uh, And at this point, David is trending on Twitter. uh, Because he had just went to battle uh, as a young man with a giant Philistine warrior, a chief enemy of the nation of Israel by the name of Goliath. King Saul summons David in after he follows him on Twitter and finds out what that trending topic is. And he asks him who he is. David tells him who he is. Then that's where we're going to pick up. So I want you to notice what happens here, uh, which is where we're at in 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting at verse 1. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. For those of you who are familiar uh, with 1 Samuel, you know the friendship between Jonathan and David delves deeper and deeper every page that you turn. But I want to focus our attention on just these few verses this morning because they give us insight again into the characteristics of love relationships. Before we look at those characteristics, let's not miss a very important phrase here that you see on the screen or in the Bible that's in front of you. Uh, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. The Hebrew text reads that the soul of Jonathan was knitted to the soul of David. Reinforced by the repeated phrase there that we see twice in the text, he loved him as himself. He loved him as himself. Does that sound familiar? Does that language sound familiar? He loved him as himself? If so, uh, this is probably where it sounds familiar from. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was put to the test. I mean, what kind of fool puts Jesus to the test? Maybe they didn't know who he was. 
So he's put to test by an expert in the law, and he's asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? To which Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. We see two significant realities here that I want to make sure that we all get in Jonathan and David's love relationship. First, their love relationship surpasses the standards of mere human friendship. Their love relationship passes the standards of mere human friendship. And second, you and I, uh, this morning, this very morning, with the complicated people that we're in relationship with, you and I uh, can have the same exact kind of deep, significant, intimate love relationships uh, by the people that you're rubbing shoulders with right now. It's possible. So, I want us to consider the four characteristics of love relationships. And first, which we'll see in in Jonathan, the first one is initiative. The first characteristic of a love relationship is initiative, if you want to jot that down. So, I want want us to see that Jonathan took the the initiative in his relationship with David. We read that Jonathan loved David as himself. And everything else we see in the scripture is a result of Jonathan's initiative. Jonathan didn't sit back and wait for David to, I mean, to invite him to, I don't know what dudes did back then. Uh, Maybe got a beer or went and saw a movie. Uh, Did they organize a three-on-three basketball game? Jonathan didn't sit back and wait for an invitation from David. I mean, it'd be hard to play basketball in a tunic uh, anyway. But uh, Jonathan took the initiative Uh, towards David, with David. As a person, just kind of a a personal peculiarity of mine, I've always been fascinated by people. People are just very interesting to me. Uh, I've always thought the most valuable and interesting thing to collect is friendships. So I really do take that initiative to get to know people. And if you see me on the street, chances are you'll see me with someone who you're like, who is that guy? Who is that girl? Uh, Because diverse people are are really interesting to me. So that's just me as a person. And then as a pastor, uh, it kind of amplifies as well because I'm pursued uh, in really unique ways by by different people. So throughout my relationships, whether it's personally the people that I'm pursuing or the people that I'm being pursued by uh, as a pastor, there seems to be a a string that that ties all, all those people together, all the relationships together which is the common thread of loneliness. Both isolation, people by themselves, and insulation, choosing to not let other people in. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that people are lonely is because they don't take a relational risk of initiative. They're not willing to step out and take the initiative. The relational risk of initiative can be and often is very challenging. In all sorts of ways. Uh, But people can camouflage that challenge uh, in as many different ways. They're not willing to rise to the occasion. So maybe maybe specifically, uh, they camouflage it spiritually. They say, well, I'm just, I'm waiting on God. 
I can't tell you how many people I've heard use that expression, waiting on God, uh, just as an excuse to not take a relational risk. There's a rapper that I really dig. His name is Shad. He's in Toronto, Canada, uh, and he has this line, God says, you believe in me, now believe in yourself. The love of God that we sing about, that we read about, that we hear preached, that we think about, should affect how we see all of the shortcomings of people and our own shortcomings, and motivate us to take initiative, to step towards people. Love relationships require the initiative that we see Jonathan model. The most effective evangelism, I would say, and this is kind of dangerous for job security, the most effective evangelism doesn't happen here. It happens in relationships. The most effective discipleship doesn't happen here. It happens inside of human relationships. Human flourishing occurs inside of love relationships because we are made for them. So I have a question. kind of want to push back on y'all a little bit this morning. What would it look like for you to respond to this by taking a relational risk? If you call City Church home, what would it look like for you to take a relational risk by choosing uh, to get involved in a City Life group? Shoot, maybe even opening up your home to the funky, weird, uh, peculiar people that make up City Church and host a group. So not only join a group, but host a group. Maybe it could look like that. Maybe there's someone in your life who's coming to mind right now that you want to initiate a conversation with, someone you go to school with, someone you go to work with, someone you live near. Or maybe even initiate trying to build with them. So not only a conversation, but having an experience, having them to your home, having a cup of coffee with them trying to actually share a human experience with them. It's true that if you take a relational risk, you may be rejected. You might be. Uh, But what I think is intriguing is that that's measurable, right? We can measure what rejection looks like. Maybe it gets a little bit awkward. Hey, you want to go out and get a drink? No, I'm good. Oh, all right. Or, you know, maybe we feel defeated. Maybe we feel rejected, we ask, they say no. What's the worst? They can say no. So that's what rejection is. We can, we can measure that. We can't measure the possibility of what a reward would look like if we took that risk. A new friend. I just talked to a neighbor of mine in the past couple of months, uh, and he's, a, he's different than I am. Uh, that's a politically correct way of saying it. Uh, but I love chatting with him. And if I didn't take that initiative to talk to him, we couldn't have had that friendship. Maybe if you take a relational risk, you can gain a spouse. Uh, Maybe if you take a relational risk, you can help someone come to follow Jesus. So the failure, the shortcoming could be awkwardness, could be rejection. We have no idea what the success could look like. The potential risk is worth the potential reward. If you're going to build a love relationship, it will require initiative. And I'm confident that uh, there are folks here that were like, or maybe not here, right? Maybe not here. But they, they are hearing this, uh, who potentially were at a bar last night, right? And it took them a couple of drinks or maybe a couple of hours to work up the willingness to take the initiative to talk to someone that they had had their eye on. I'd suggest that that is not a love relationship. That kind of relationship is like David and Bathsheba. It's not like David and Jonathan, While both had initiative, uh, both were not built on love. And naturally, probably, arising 
in my modern American hearers and my peers is the rebuttal, how dare you say what love is or is not? It's a very common notion held by people nowadays. And I would say, it's not my definition. Love is not defined by me. Love is defined by God. Love is defined in the scripture. So just for a working definition as we proceed, this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That can be the framework for how we understand love. And through this lens, I have a question. Do you love others for yourself or as yourself? Check it out. David loved Bathsheba for himself, right? And so I would suggest that that is not love. Whereas Jonathan loved David as himself. There is a line in the sand. There is a distinction. The first characteristic being initiative. Second, I want you to see that Jonathan made a commitment. And you might want to jot that word down. Jonathan made a commitment, which we read in verse 3. In the Hebrew, uh, this word commitment means covenant, alliance, pledge. There's a binding, lasting implication here. The same Hebrew word translated into commitment uh, is all throughout, or I'm sorry, covenant is all throughout the Old Testament regarding God's initiative towards men and women. The promises that he made for men and women over and over, that same word translated into covenant. This is a very different kind of commitment uh, than people in my generation are used to. And if anything is a good measure of people in my generation, it's Facebook. Right? That's where you can really tell the ebb and flow of what we're like and who we are. So allow me to illustrate my point here, talking about commitment. You guys know what events are on Facebook? Enough of y'all do? So there can be an event, you know, for a grand opening, a casual get-together. They can really be anything. And a few years ago, uh, Facebook was very simple. There were two responses to an event. You could join or you could decline, right? When the world was simple, you could join or decline. Since then, uh, Facebook has added an additional response in regards to commitment. Do you guys know what it is? Maybe, dude. Maybe. The millennial maybe, right? We can't deal with commitment. Why does the word maybe even exist? Can any of you guys give me an, exa- an answer? Maybe you can, right? <laughs> maybe you can. Maybe is the ethos of postmodern commitment. Jonathan didn't maybe David. God doesn't maybe men and women. The second characteristic of a love relationship is not maybe. It's commitment. Consequently, some of the loneliest, most isolated, most insulated people that I know are the least committed people. Their mantra is maybe. Friends who are like kind of friends. I mean, you think that they're friends, but when you try to actually make plans, it's like, They never actually make plans. And when they finally maybe their way into your house, they're like finding excuses on the way out of the door to go do something else before you can actually commit to one another and intimacy can occur. Men and women who waste away their precious time and limited money and physical and emotional well-being in pursuit of the next best or maybe just the next man or woman. 
to entertain their boredom, to satisfy their lust, or just to affirm their insecurities. I want to flash a graphic up here as I illustrate this in one more way. Uh, Last but not least, the hallmark of man's technological achievements, staring into our inanimate devices, right? Our iPhones, our iPads, our iPods, when we're surrounded by and withing people who are living and breathing and caring human beings. And I'm guilty of this as well. In passing, I have this thought, sort of this observation uh, about society, the culture that we live in. I think that social media is to human relationships what pornography is to human sexuality. Social media has the appearance of relationships, right? But it gives you absolute control over any relational challenge or difficulty or messiness and heartbreak. The moment anything flares up, and it's been a lot flaring up recently now, hasn't it? The moment anything flares up, what can you do? Block, unfriend, unfollow, flee from the confrontation of commitment. Just like pornography, the appearance of human sexuality with absolute control over actual challenges, difficulties, messiness, and heartbreak attached to the intention of God and marriage for life between a man and a woman. Neither social media nor pornography can satisfy the longings that we have been given, which can only be satisfied in the actual expression of human relationships and human sexuality as God who designed both of them intended them for. Can I encourage, or encourage you to consider whether you choose to commit or not? I want you to think about that. And if you consistently choose not to commit... Can I also ask, are you perpetually lonely? Deep, significant, intimate love relationships are built on lasting, binding, covenantal commitments like the one Jonathan made to David. Third, I want us to see the characteristic of acceptance. Acceptance. Initiative, commitment, acceptance. Essentially, Uh, Jonathan and David, as we talked about in the beginning, were from different sides of the tracks, right? I wonder if that metaphor even holds up anymore as we continue to gentrify America. But they were from different sides of the tracks. Jonathan was a prince. He was elite royalty, born and bred in the lap of luxury. Meanwhile, David's a shepherd boy in the open field in the lap of sheep. When Jonathan committed to David, David was yet to be king, yet to be rich, yet to be powerful, yet to be influential. David didn't convince Jonathan of his worthiness based on his merit or his accomplishments or what he brought to the table. Nor did riches or power deceive Jonathan into making his commitment to David. Jonathan committed to David because of his love for him. When there was nothing in David to earn Jonathan's love. Necessary to Jonathan's love of and for David was acceptance of everything that David was not in comparison to what Jonathan was. Does that make sense? And that is a no. 
Jonathan accepting David, he had to necessarily accept everything that David was not, that he was. And acceptance may arguably be the most challenging characteristic for us today. I would say first in our culture, right? Just macro, culturally, as as far as people go. And then also in the church among Christians whom emerge from that culture. And I have to make a necessary distinction here. Acceptance is not agreement. Acceptance is not agreement. Agreement is to ratify. And we'll flash this up on the screen. You can jot it down. Agreement is to ratify. Acceptance is to receive. In application, and let me get a a little bit current, to accept someone does not mean that you agree with them. There's been a whole lot of not agreeing, but also not accepting recently. Let me dissect this a little bit more. Uh, And this is the best way for me to understand any social or cultural or kind of modern cutting edge human problem issues. I look at myself. So I don't agree with me 100% of the time, right? And I don't know if you guys have the... uh, the the privilege of thinking that same thing about me or yourself, but I don't agree with me 100% of the time. I contradict my own standards. I fall short of my own expectations. Not to mention that I certainly offend against the holiness of God and I pale in comparison to his perfection, as is the case for every other human being ever. So when it comes to relating to anyone else, all of us relating to anyone else, seeking to exist in deep, significant, intimate love relationships, we must necessarily accept one another, even though we don't agree with one another. Like Jonathan accepted David, we must simultaneously accept what others are not, that we are, and what others are, that we are not. Does that make sense? Second time around. Yes. Word. Power to the people. Um, Aaron, my wife and I were recently watching at least the beginning of a movie uh, called The Angriest Man in Brooklyn. Have you guys seen it? It stars Robin Williams. Uh, in the film, Williams' brother uh, has a passing line, and those are always the heaviest ones, the one that didn't have a whole lot of momentum going up to it. And he said, the only normal people are the ones you don't know yet. The only normal people are the ones that you don't know yet. Delving deeply into love relationships with one another means discovering irregularities, brokenness, and dysfunction. Dare I say, delving deeply into a love relationship with your own self, loving yourself, also means discovering the same thing. So I have to ask the question, uh, do you avoid delving in to avoid making that discovery? Do you avoid delving into loving yourself so that you don't have to discover who you actually are? Do you avoid delving into loving other people so that you don't have to actually discover who they are? Allow others to see you. See yourself as you do. Others will be encouraged to do the same as you see yourself, as others see you, and as others allow you to see them accept what you see. Accept yourself in the fullness of your beauty and your brokenness. Accept others in the fullness of their beauty and their brokenness. 
love and be loved. If you don't, you will run from yourself for all of your life. And if you don't, you will run from relationships with others for all of your life. Once it gets to a point that passes me being able to have the power. Once I feel powerless, oh, I'm out of here. I can't. I can't deal with that anymore. Delve deep. Discover brokenness. Discover beauty. And choose to love. Uh, did I mention that a phenomenal place for us to delve deep with one another is our upcoming City Life Group ministry rolling out at the end of the summer? Finally, we see uh, Jonathan demonstrating vulnerability. Vulnerability. The scripture says that Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. As we've seen, Jonathan was heir to the people and possessions of his father Saul's throne. He was going to inherit a lot. Next in line to rule and to govern and to lead the nation of Israel. But when he stripped himself, right, when he took everything off, he demonstrated to David his recognition that God had chosen him to inherit his father's throne. Jonathan stripped himself of his royalty, both his position and his possessions. He not only stripped himself physically, but metaphorically of his right to the throne for David's sake. He stripped himself for David's sake. And stripping looks exactly how vulnerability feels, doesn't it? I mean, even in our, our marriages, maybe the, the potential closest relationship that you could have with somebody. Uh, if I'm not feeling like fit and sexy, maybe a little grown sexy, I will like close the door uh, to change, right? Because stripping looks exactly like vulnerability feels. I don't want to be seen. We all construct these clothed identities to, to keep going with this metaphor that we present to others to make us look exactly how we want to look. Clothed identities to make us look how we want to look to other people. Cool, confident, composed, caring, cultured, sophisticated, sexy, smart, significant, successful. And again, by doing so, we sabotage being fully known and fully loved. Deep, significant, intimate love relationships cannot exist without vulnerability. You guys know Andre 3000, Outcast. Uh, the last Outcast album was called Speaker Box and the Love Below. Andre 3000 kind of stopped rapping on that album, which is, I mean, Andre is one of my favorite rappers. And he pretty much sang uh, the whole entire album. And a bunch of friends of mine were like, why isn't Andre rapping? What's he doing wasting a whole album singing? But he has this song that I think is beautiful, and a, a line throughout, and I'm not going to sing it, is, baby, take off your cool. Take off your cool. I want to see you. I want to love you. Take off your cool. Throughout this text, we've seen that Jonathan models the characteristics of initiative, acceptance, commitment, and vulnerability in cultivating his deep and significant and intimate love relationship with David. We've considered how we can adopt these characteristics to engage our own love relationships, and I encourage you to continue to question and to consider, consider these characteristics as you seek to build love relationships. 
But I kind of don't want to leave it there. We can't just leave it there because I'm confident that our humanity can't hold all of this up. Our capability to love others, even to love ourselves, is contingent upon comprehending whom we are loved by and how we are loved. We can't first love others until we are loved. The validity of Jonathan's model is fulfilled in the love relationship, the friendship of the Lord Jesus. That you would ask me to be your friend at the end of that last song we sang. In a fortunate turn of events, you would ask me to be your friend. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, I no longer call you servants. Instead, I've called you friends. Friends of God. You see, it was the incomparable initiative of God, which we see woven throughout the scripture, that led him to fashion men and women in his likeness from the jump. He took the initiative to give us life. That led him to pursue Adam and Eve, even after they rebelled, even after they were disobedient, confronting their sin, not to ridicule them, but to redeem them. It was the incomparable initiative of God that Paul observed when he wrote, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The initiative, the incomparable initiative of God. Because he desires, do you think about God like this? Because he desires a deep, significant, intimate love relationship with you and with me and all men and women. And we see this clearly, precisely, in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The incomparable initiative of God, fulfilled in Jesus, lies at the foundation of his deep, significant, intimate love relationship with humanity. We see his, the, the amazing acceptance of God before we see it in Jonathan. That led Jesus to say in anticipation of his crucifixion, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The amazing acceptance of God. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Anything but, check this out again, the distinction between agreement and acceptance. Anything but agreeing with the wicked world whom he would be brutalized and murdered for. Nonetheless, accepting all of the very wicked world when he was lifted up. Which is why John the Baptist cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because although Jesus did not agree, he accepted. And also that's at the heart of the invitation of Jesus, uh, which we talk about often here at City Church. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The amazing acceptance of God seen in the person of Jesus at the heart of his desire for a deep, intimate love relationship with you and I. Again, this inconceivable commitment of God we see in the person of Jesus. His final words in Matthew, uh, Jesus came to his disciples and a couple others that had gathered and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Check out this commitment. And surely I am with you always 
to the very end of the age, the inconceivable commitment of God. Jesus, I am with you always. And that uh, inconceivable commitment of God is also uh, in, in Paul's mind, on Paul's heart, as he considers what he wrote to Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. If we are in deep, intimate love relationships with people, when they fail us, do we bounce or do we stay committed because we love them? Because if you are in a deep, committed love relationship with anyone, they will fail you. Right? Can I get an amen on that? Y'all know people. The choice to stay committed, maybe in spite or in acceptance of the person because people fail. The commitment of Jesus, I will be with you until the end of the age. He remains faithful even when we are faithless, for he cannot disown himself. And it was the vast vulnerability of God that we see in Jesus as he weeps over his friend Lazarus. When have, when have you cried in front of someone? I mean, when any of us cries, right, what do we do? Oh, sorry, I'm sorry for crying. No, I just, we don't want to be seen. We don't want to be that vulnerable in front of people. We don't want to weep. We don't want to show all that emotion. We don't want to let people in. Forgive me. Sorry, I don't know why I'm doing this. Jesus weeping over Lazarus. Jesus weeping over Jerusalem because they would not come to him. The vulnerability. Do we have like room in our framework of understanding God and Jesus and the Lord's love for us to know that he would weep and be sorrowful over our unwillingness to come to him? The initiative, commitment, acceptance, and vulnerability of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ secured past tense. And I know this is a lot of words. It's my, my final slide up here. Secured a deep, significant, intimate love relationship with every man or woman who believes. Initiative, acceptance, commitment, and vulnerability as the characteristics for human relationships, love relationships that are deep, significant, and intimate. And the same characteristics which we see personified in the person and the work of Jesus. He, as God, seeks to love us, love men and women, by exemplifying the same characteristics to the 100th degree for those who believe. And we have the word believe up here on the banners, and we talk about these banners from time to time. If you are here this morning, uh, or if you are hearing this, I want to ask you the question, have you believed on the Christ? Have you believed in the Christ who chose initiative, acceptance, commitment, and vulnerability to secure a deep, significant, intimate love relationship with you that produces abundant life, that produces eternal life? And if the answer is yes, that you have believed, do you extend those same characteristics in your human relationships beyond yourself? Do you extend those same characteristics to yourself? Do you love yourself in response to God's love for you? And do you love other people for their benefit so that they can know who and what love is? Will you guys pray with me? Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you are the personification uh, of purity and perfection. Um, and there's certainly a line to draw in the sand this morning as we consider how to conduct ourselves in human relationships. 
that are actually love relationships that can sound real uh, moralistic and real legalistic. Uh, But we look to you and we see that you first showed us how to love and how to live in love relationships. And for those of us who have been believers or potentially for those of us who have just believed this morning, we want to live in that love and to give your love to other people. Uh, especially in a, a day and a time uh, when love relationships are becoming less and less defined, where love becomes this thing that we say that it is, and it becomes unlike what the Scripture tells us love is. Lord, we want to accept your love. We want to love you. We want to love ourselves and love the people around us because love is de- defined, and love has a name, and the name of love is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us which compels us to worship, uh, which compels us to preach, which compels us to pick up trash, which compels us into uh, love relationships with ourselves and with the people around us. And we pray that you are glorified in all these things. It's in your name we pray. Amen.